Welcome back. You're on the Fly Kids Show, episode 15. This is the Radical Classical episode. And today I have a mentor of mine um, connected with this brother back in 08, um, right when or a little before when Barack Obama was elected. This is when I really cut my teeth in the whole world of um influencer marketing events lifestyle events you know i i learned a lot from him and also um some of his colleagues that he was working with at the time um it it is like just you know with great pleasure that i introduce this brother marquis perkins uh creative director um you know the guy <laughs> so thank, thank you. you thank you for having me thank you for coming on the show yeah, man yeah my pleasure um so how you feeling today i'm feeling good you know it's it's 75 degrees outside. It's February. You know, global warming. It's fucked up. But yeah, I don't like it. I don't, you know, I don't like none of it. It's, um, <laughs> you know, temporary pleasure. I'll take it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Planet's gonna burn up soon, but it felt great today. We're gonna have a hurricane in DC this summer. Watch what I say. Oh, it's gonna snow in June. Watch what I say, and I'm gonna be out of here, and I'm not coming back for 30 days until you know DC government has it together, and they're like, okay, we know what we're gonna do to clean up, uh, but. That aside, um, let's just jump into let's just jump right into it. Um, okay. Let's start with where where Marquise Perkins is from. So I'm originally from Virginia, Tidewater area. Okay, my mother's from there, from yeah. Suffolk, Virginia. Okay, yeah, 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 Suffolk, I know Suffolk well. Um, a lot of my family, you know, from that area was probably picking cotton a couple hundred years ago. Probably. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> or, or, or peanuts. That's peanuts. My, my grandmother worked at uh, Planners yeah. in, 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 uh, in Suffolk, yes. The Planners Peanut Factory, yes. You worked there. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, that's funny how that happens. Like, yo, y'all niggas been doing this anyway. Mm-hmm. So now we're just going to pay all of it, the money to do it. Mm-hmm. So, um, but no, originally from there. And then um, went to Hampton University. And after I left Hampton, Moved to D.C. So, you know, I'm old. I've been in D.C. for, she's 17 years now. Okay. So let's let's, let's back up a little, a little bit. Yeah. Why did you choose Hampton? Of, of I don't know. Well, what? how many schools did you apply to for college? Wow. All right. So to tell you how I got to Hampton, I need to I need to give you a little bit more backstory. Okay. And I'm, and I'm asking this because even though I didn't finish, I did yeah. attend Howard. Okay. So I, I, I've never had the opportunity to ask. Uh, a, a Hampton Hampton alum, why they chose Hampton over any other school they could have gone to? Oh man, that whoa, that's that's such a loaded question. That question sounds like of all the schools, why did you choose that <laughs> shitty school? Nah, this is a great school. Um, but no, I got to give you some backstory to tell you how I got there. So a long time ago, I thought that I was going to be a professional trumpet player. Mm-hmm. Went to performing arts high school. And I was like, look, I'm going to Juilliard. I'm going. You know, Nina Simone went there. Miles Davis went there. Went Marcellus. I'm going to Juilliard. Mm-hmm. So funny enough, I actually got an invitation to audition there. Mm-hmm. Went up to New York, audition, and, you know, got the letter back a couple months later. You did not get in. So, you know, depressed little kid at 18, you know, spoiled little brat. So, um... I was, you know, didn't really care about school at that point. But my mom was like, "Nah, you're going to school. As a matter of fact, you know, the head of the music program at Howard, uh, they knew about me already. 
you know, I had a little reputation back then for playing. <laughs> so anyway, he he can't he called me. He's like, look, uh, come over and audition for me, and we'll see what we can give you. Mm-hmm. So I went and auditioned. They gave me almost a full ride. So you know, you ain't got to tell a black parent black parent twice that we're gonna give your kid you know pretty much a free ride. Right, Marquise, that's when you're going to school. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh yeah, that's how I ended up there. You know, it's it's funny. I had never even thought about going to Hampton prior to that. But um, you know, it's a great school. You know, it's it's secluded, but there's uh some some great folks that have that have come out of Hampton. You know, it's funny, I was just talking the other day about um I uh, was having a conversation with somebody about Solange and her style and and Beyonce and you know the girl that done did all this styling like for the formation video she went to Hampton she graduated a few years after I did but mm-hmm. like there's some great people that came out of that school and I think um you know schools that are small like that that are kind of uh away from major cities like Howard you know there's something to be said for going to school in a major city because you get all these influences but um from from all over the world but when you go to a smaller school like that um, if you're doing something, you're like a like a big fish in a small pond, and right. You know, I think more than anything, what it does for you is build your confidence up. Okay. More than anything, so okay. yeah, yeah. No, I respect that. Yeah. A lot, lot of great talent has come from Hampton University. Yeah, know? yeah. Don't get it twisted. Hampton's a great school. <laughs> so, what'd you major in? Uh, so <clears throat> my first two years, I majored in music. Okay. And then at that time, I was working for Arista Records. I was an intern uh, for Arista Records, and I just got the bug to want to be in the music industry Mm -hmm. and just marketing, period. I I loved it. So I remember the day, like it was yesterday. So I had to make the decision to, like, like I didn't want to play music anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, So I walked into the head of the music department's office and was like, look, I appreciate everything you did, but... I'm going to switch my major. And I knew the consequences going into that conversation. I mean, going into that meeting. Mm. That meant that I was going to lose that scholarship. Yeah. So, um, but no, I switched to marketing after that. Okay. And what instrument did you play? Trumpet. Trumpet, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, I switched to marketing. Um, and, um, you know, marketing is so funny. It's like one of these broad things that doesn't really mean anything. It's like the art of selling, but, you know just marketing majors is just hilarious to me because it doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so, so I learned later on uh, um, after I had majored in marketing at, uh, at Howard. Yes. It's just this broad major. That's like, what, what exactly is it? Yeah. 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 It's like, there's so many things you can do with a marketing, ma- marketing degree. Like you can end up being, you know, your boy Draper from Mad Men, mm-hmm. this big, ad executive or you could end up being a salesman selling xerox copiers yeah like both of these people were marketing majors <laughs> exactly <laughs> so exactly yeah uh so what i know from marketing did not come from uh my major okay <laughs> so once you graduated you came to dc once i graduated <clears throat> um i i worked in music for a little while and then eventually i was like look I want to work in the club game. This is, you know, throughout this conversation, you'll learn that there's several chapters 
in my life that don't necessarily make sense from yeah. one chapter to, I, I, to, to I got, the last. I got, I got all the chapters <laughs> that I know of. There okay. might be some others in there that you didn't tell me about, yeah. but I, I got, I got a, quite a few. So, um, at that time, Dream Nightclub was the hot club. Yes. And on the East Coast, mm-hmm. one of the hottest in the country. Yes. And um, a buddy of mine who I used to work with at um, Arista and BMG, he was a general manager mm-hmm. for Mark Barnes over at, at Dream. And uh, I was like, look, dude, I want to work in the, in the club industry. Um, you know, I need to meet everybody that's doing it big mm-hmm. in D.C. So at the time, you know, for those that remember, it was like, Abdul that had H2O and Mark Barnes and like Danny Davis and all these guys. So he was like, look, meet me at the club. Uh, We'll see what we can do. Mm -hmm. So um, first night I was there, uh, dude had me just like walking around monitoring stuff, picking up trash. It was crazy. It was terrible. I I was like, I'm never doing this again. (laughs) Uh, and we had LL that night, so it was like eight thousand people in there. For those that remember how big Dream was, it was like mm-hmm. eight thousand people in there. And uh, I was like, "Man, this is this is absolutely terrible." LL is in there, all these hot girls, and I'm in this joint in a suit picking up trash. And what year was this? This is two thousand one. Okay, and just to, just to give you an idea, like, so I started at Howard in two thousand. Mm-hmm. So everybody who came to Howard who wasn't from the DC area, the first nightclub the uh, the first nightclub they had mentioned going out to was dream it's like yeah, yeah we want to go to dream you know because i think um i don't think the uh had the hey mom video came out yet i don't think well, so no no the hey mom video hadn't came out yet but they knew about it and like we even had shuttles that would run from howard to dream and i'm just like Man, I mean, I was just geeked off the commercial Mm -hmm. that I would hear on the radio because I never heard a nightclub commercial like that. I was used to hearing, you know, some dude on the radio screaming at the top of his lungs talking about be there, ladies free, whatever, you know. But this woman that I heard, this woman's voice, it was just very sultry and sexy and it's just like she made... I was 17. I hadn't even turned 18 yet. I was 17 when I first heard about Dream Nightclub and I was like... Not only did I want to go there, but I wanted to work in the nightlife industry because of just hearing this ad. Yeah, you yeah. know, it. I mean, it was uh, you know very aspirational. It made people that didn't have anything feel like they were balling. Mm-hmm. You know, you do a little happy hour. You give everybody, give everybody some dollar drinks and some free food. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it get you, it get you far. Get yeah, a lot of people in the door. Yeah, but um, but yeah, man, it was. <clears throat> That that club, and you know the way it was operated, and the, the celebrities that we had coming in, I don't think that'll be duplicated. I mean, not anytime soon. I mean, yeah. just because clubs have gotten smaller, and mm-hmm. you know, you're not really trying to party around five thousand people anymore. Yeah, the, the age of the super club is is done. It's for the done. Most part. It's yeah. done for now. Yeah. Um. You know, it was around seventies, eighties, and then left, and then came back. So we'll see. Maybe my my kids, whenever I have them, will be going to super clubs. I don't know. But, yeah, that's what got me to D.C., um, you know, doing the whole club thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because there were so many people coming into Dream, um, what it did was open up a lot of doors for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's weird because looking back on it, it's, I mean, it's all 
um, superficial relationships, not really real. You know, you build some real relationships, but for the most part, it's like, you know, what can you do for me? And at the time, I could get people into the hottest club in the city. Mm-hmm. And, you know, attached to that is this um, idea of, you know, local celebrity or something that comes along with it. You yeah. know, it's it, it's stupid. This dumb shit doesn't mm. really mean anything. But but what I appreciated about the whole thing is that it opened up a lot of doors that I probably wouldn't have had open for me if I wasn't in that position at the time. Mm. And then from there, you know, I went on to do other clubs and parties and stuff. But okay. yeah, that's that's what got me here. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, talk a little bit about your time with uh, BMG and Arista. You know, because um, I mean, BMG um, is a name yeah. that you don't hear anymore. Nah, you know? it's funny. When I was a kid, BMG was just like. They send you mail and you can get like ten albums or something for a penny. Them in a uh, Columbia House. Yeah, them yeah. in Columbia House. Yep. So, uh, I was actually ignorant to how big BMG was when I got the internship. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to another life while I was playing trumpet in high school, I was also DJing. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh uh, yeah, I didn't know that. I was in, <laughs> uh, yeah, I was in twelfth grade DJing at tw- uh, twenty one and up club. I I thought I was that dude. But anyway, back then we had these record pools. So uh, we would have meetings every week and record company uh, executives would come in and play us like the hottest new joints. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know if record pools exist anymore. But they would play us the hottest new joints and give us records Mm -hmm. to play because, you know, that's that's promo. That's like as good as radio. Yeah. So um, in high school, met this guy who was working for Arista. His name is Craig Davis. Uh, I don't know if you're listening, but big up Craig Davis, uh, Uncle Craig. Uh, ask anybody in the industry about Craig Davis, they know him, great guy. But um, I was like, dude, I really want to know more about the music industry. And he was like, well, what are you doing this summer? I was like, well, it's the summer before I'm about to go to school. Um, you know, I don't have any major plans. He's like, look, we have a regional office in Maryland, Atlanta, Maryland. Mm-hmm. I could use an intern. So, um, my dad lived up here, so I stayed with my dad, and I was going to the office in Lanham, you know, just doing crazy stuff. Um, not crazy stuff, but just, you know, meaningless stuff like sending out records to radio stations, going to grab stuff for them. Um, you know, the cool thing is every now and then I would get to hang out with Craig and some of the artists. Um, but, yeah, that got me in the door um, in the music industry. And then I think the next year, uh, BMG, which uh, is a distribution company, and distribution company for, like, Loud Records, RCA, LaFace, um, you know, Bad Boy, all these companies were under BMG. So mm-hmm. at that time, we had hot shit. Yeah. Um, you know, you're talking late 90s, Bad Boy, LaFace, RCA, Loud, like, from, like, Wu-Tang to, like, Biggie, Diddy, all of that. We were pushing out some hot shit. Mm-hmm. So, um, I was college rep for BMG, which meant that I was in charge of like promotions for all the college campuses in in Virginia. Mm-hmm. So, um, just like you know, uh, dream. It was like this fake celebrity stuff, but it's like the dude on college campus that can get like all these hot records. So it was funny. People thought I had more influence than I did. Like. People would give me their demos. I'm like, I can't do anything with this demo. Um, but you were the closest thing to those labels that they knew. I was the closest thing that they knew. They yeah. were just like, 
you know, this kid is my age and he works for a record company. Mm-hmm. Like that just seemed hot, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Especially at that time. At that time, it was a lot going on. Like, you know, um, and then like the people that I roll with, it's funny. Like, you know, DJ Envy from The Breakfast Club. Like he was mm-hmm. my boy, he was my economics partner at him. But uh, what's up, Rasan Casey? So anyway. <laughs> That's his name? <laughs> Who would have knew? <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Alright. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that was my dude. But um, yeah, so you know, that time spent as an intern and then as a college rep, uh, that's what got me into the industry. But that's also at a time where there was a big shakeup in the industry where music went from, you know, records and cassettes to uh, and CDs to digital. Mm. So with that, um, there was a lot of mergers going on at that time. Um, a lot of smaller labels were folding, and I could just see the writing on the wall. Like my friends that had graduated from college, that had then gotten like full time jobs in the industry, they were losing their jobs. Mm. I was like, well, shit, I don't want to do that because I don't know where this is going. Like nobody knew what was going to happen with digital music. It sounds stupid now, right? It's like, um, like of course, we listen to music on iTunes or Tidal or Spotify. That shit didn't exist at the time. It was just like this shakeup. It was like, we know we don't want to walk around with like CDs and shit. But and, it, it's, and it's moving to digital. We just don't know how big digital is going to be. I mean, and even just like thinking about the, the, the whole like lawsuit with Napster. You know, yeah. when that happened, you're just like, oh, man, this digital thing, it's, it's it, not going it, to work. It's not going to work. Exactly. Yeah. It's not going to work. Um, and then, you know, he gets the credit for it. But then, you know, Steve Jobs came through with iTunes and it was like, all right, well, maybe there's a way to make this happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but even back then, it wasn't even perfect because I don't know if you if you guys remember, but even when iTunes started, you couldn't buy individual songs. You could only buy the album. Right. Now I remember. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was still trying to figure the whole thing out Mm -hmm. so um you know either bigger companies were gobbling smaller companies the smaller companies were just folding and um yeah i you know i I got out and that's when um i moved on to the clubbing i like i move with the wind dude i move with whatever i think whatever has my attention at the time and you know, just luckily, I've been um, able to make those moves work. So, were you in New York, or were you were you no, based mostly here? I was based uh, in Virginia. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And would be here for the summers out of the regional office in in Maryland. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All so, right. um, we go up to New York every now and then because you know the parent company, mm-hmm. uh, BMG, was right in Times Square, like right above the Virgin music store um i was about to say virgin record store but yeah that doesn't exist so um <laughs> rest um, in peace virgin mega store yeah <laughs> rest in peace records no nah, records are back records are back records should should always be here they sound amazing so um but yeah um i just been blessed to be able to to move and 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 make it work i haven't i haven't you know, knock on wood. I don't know if this is real wood, particle board or something, but knock on this thing. And, um, you know, that every move that I've made, I've found a way to to make a living at it. 
Okay. Yeah. So you progress beyond picking up trash at Dream. Oh yeah, that was quick. I think that was <laughs> I think that was a test, man. For those that know Mark Barnes, he um he's an interesting dude. I think that was a test. Like the next week, it was like I became a floor manager. Okay. So okay. <laughs> I only had to do that uh full time trash picker upper uh that one time i mean you know it's always part of your your job duties because if you ever seen mark walking around the club he's probably picking up trash mm-hmm. um but yeah that i guess that was just hazing and then um and then yeah it was it was floor managing it was a, it was a great place to be because anybody who was was popping at the time performed at that club yeah at some point or another like i honestly can't Think of somebody in black music that didn't come through that club at some point or another. I mean... At that time, like early 2000s, definitely everybody came through there. Yeah, I mean, and it's a lot of artists that are big now who I saw, like, you know, some of their first performances. Like, I remember we had Sierra, and she got booed because nobody knew who she was. Mm -hmm. And, you know... If she came back today, you couldn't fit everybody in that club to come and see her. Mm-hmm. Uh, people want to see, yeah, they yeah, want to yeah. see something from Sierra. Yeah, yeah. Um, but at the time, people were like, "Oh, who is this?" But you know, not just her. Um, you know, I saw that for several artists that went on to have have big careers. But you know that that club was like an institution in DC. It was like if your folks are coming from out of town, that's that's where y'all going. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I'm, I even. Just going on in life, I met other people who, you know, had nothing to do with Howard, but just from other cities on the East Coast, um, up and down the East Coast, they're just like, yeah, man, I went to D.C. and we went to Dream. Like, the mm-hmm. first place we went, the Dream. Just like, damn. Like, mm-hmm. this way, and by this point, this was after, like, the, the, the Hey Ma video came out. So, like, oh, yeah. even more people knew about Dream. Oh, yeah, this after point. that Hey Ma video, it was, it was insane. Like, you know, probably went from, like, 4,000 people a night to like 8,000. And right. that's no exaggeration that we used to get 8,000 people in there on a regular Friday night. Absolutely. I mean, I've seen the lines. Um, So when you were floor manager, what was going through your mind in terms of just like, you know, where Marquis saw himself in the, the near future? You know, like, well, where where do you see yourself in nightlife or event production? Have you even <laughs> thought, had you even thought about, I want to like produce events at this point? Well, so at that time, I wanted to eventually own nightclubs. Mm-hmm. You know, later on down the line, I was like, "Nah, y'all can have that." But at the time, I wanted to own nightclubs, and um, I didn't necessarily see myself as somebody who was going to throw events. Mm-hmm. You know, at at that time, I don't think I was truly honest with myself. So, you know, when when you grow up and you have this idea of who you are and this direction that you want to take your life, and then there's a point where you become real about who you are and you start adding there. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I was like, no, nah, I'm a business person. This is what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Later on in life, I was like, no, you're an artist. You're a creative thinker. That's how you think. Mm-hmm. Um, like getting deals done and all of that, it sounds cool to say, 
that's the shit that I want to do. Mm. I don't want to do that shit. Like, I want people to come to me and say, make my shit hot. Yeah. Um. So at the time, no, um, I wasn't thinking about events. That's something that probably came a couple years later. Mm. At the time, I was just like, I want to learn as much about nightclubs as I possibly can from Mark Barnes. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, the thing that I learned from him that sticks with me is work, like his work ethic. Um, you know, if you work hard, then things will happen. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's kind of like karma. Like some people look at karma as like this good thing, bad thing. Like if you're good, good things will happen. Like karma to me more is like reflection. Okay. Like if you work hard, then you'll reap the things from that hard work. Like you just you don't find many broke people that work hard as shit. That's like, true. <laughs> you it's know, true. You know, there there may be some. They're just working hard as shit, doing the wrong thing. But you know, most people that work super hard are are gonna find a way to be okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, that's that's what it was. Uh, at the time, I wanted to own nightclubs and eventually got into the event game. Um, so when did uh, when did Ibiza nightclub come into play? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, Ibiza. And, my, and, and for everybody that's listening, this is back when Ibiza first opened when it was when it's good when it was good and i know there's some people who hear me say this who like what you mean when it was good what you trying to say it wasn't good later i am saying when it first opened it was good and mind you i was in mbz nightclub back when it was like in its last days oh no some shit but in the beginning the concept everything it was amazing so so ibiza um all right, backing up a little bit. Um, so my last big event that I worked on uh, with the Dream Crew was it wasn't even Dream at the time; it was Love. Mm-hmm. We had. Um, and when did this, when did when did they change the name? Well, yeah, was like this is probably two thousand six. Okay, I'm guessing. Yeah, or somewhere around there. So um, we had a big birthday party for Gilbert Arenas. Anybody in DC yes. knows about that damn birthday yes, party? Yes, yes, everybody knows about that party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everybody knows about that damn birthday party. Uh, we had to set up like turnstiles at the at the entrance of the block for people to go through. It was it was a huge deal. Um, but anyway, that was like my last major event. I was like, I'm out. Um, Mark and I had a falling out, um, and um, buddy of mine who I went to school with, uh, this guy named Eric, who I went to Hampton with. He's like, look, I got this uh, this building I want to show you. And I think those are all the details he gave me. Mm-hmm. Um, so we pull up to this old-ass warehouse in Northeast. And um, we walk in. I'm like, what the fuck is this? It was, you know, it was under construction. I'm like, what are you doing with this? He's like, yo, we're going to turn this into a nightclub. I was like, whoa, this thing is huge. Um then we went into the main room. He started telling me all about the vision with, like, the sound system. They wanted the best sound system in the country and, um, you know, just really selling me on the dream. And I was like, this is going to be dope. You know, it, it was a dream at that point. So I was like, yo, this is going to be dope. He's like, look, um, 
actually no, I actually think I proposed it to him. I mm-hmm. was like, I want to be a director of marketing. Mm-hmm. He's like, that's why I brought you over here to see it. It's like, oh, okay. So um <clears throat> we worked out the details and then, you know, I brought on um Adimu at the time. And uh I was like, look, we could we could run the show over here. Adimu from uh WPGC. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So uh I was like, we could run the show over here. Um, so we put together the calendar for the first couple months. You know, we knew that we wanted to do something hot that DC wasn't getting at mm. the time. Mm. And um I think in the first month we put together this lineup that would rival any lineup in New York or Vegas. Mm. And I learned a huge lesson during that time about um, marketing. And that's, you know, you can never be too far ahead of your consumer. Because if you do, they don't, they don't necessarily get it. It's not hot to them yet. Yeah, exactly. It's hot to you. Yes. But it's not hot to them. I, I, I've learned that lesson as well. Yeah, you can't be too many steps ahead. So, you know... In that first month, um, grand opening, we were all hyped up about it, you know, hired a major PR firm, like doing stuff that DC had never seen from a marketing standpoint Mm. Um, and and entertainment also. So, you know, while Mark up the street at Dream was killing it with, you know, straight up urban stuff, which had had been working forever, um, we were like, no, let's let's flip it and do it more Vegas. So the, the opening night we had Kim Kardashian hosting and we had um DJ AM, rest in peace DJ AM. We had DJ AM spinning. And it's funny, backstory on that, he was back then he was playing at this nightclub Pure in Vegas. Mm-hmm. And uh they were paying him pretty well. And but our opening night was on a night that he would usually spin at at um Pure. We had to pay my man like an arm and a leg to get out of his contract there. But, you know, we had him and then we had these aerialists, like girls on like these ribbons spinning from this from the roof. I mean from the ceiling. On some Cirque du Soleil we type shit. Kill, we were killing them with Cirque du Soleil type stuff. I think we had fire flamethrowers in there and everything. But the funny thing is people were so engulfed in that mm-hmm. that they weren't paying attention to the music. And DJ Aaron was killing it. Yeah. So um, at one point they were all just looking up at the ceiling, looking at this show. And I, you know, I wasn't in the booth at the time, but I heard he was pissed because he flew all the way out here and you got these motherfuckers, like 5,000 people in there looking at these girls spinning on ribbons from the, from the ceiling. And, um, you know, that was, that was the opening night and, you know, traffic was down New York Avenue, down first street, you know, we just knew that we had a hit on our hands. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people knew DJ AM. And people, because, you know, unfortunately at the time, people only knew Kim Kardashian for the Ray J tape. Yeah. Okay, so this was this was after that. that this came was out. right after the, the Ray J tape. Okay. It's funny. When, when we walked into the club, somebody in line was like, it's crazy to hear this now because everybody knows who Kim Kardashian is. But at the time, I heard this dude in line was like, yo, Ain't that the dude that fucked Ray J? I mean, ain't that the girl that fucked Ray J? And, you know, I think one of us turned around and said something because it was just rude. She was just walking past the dude. But, um, you know, we got a, I think we got him for like eight to $10,000 or something. Wow. Yeah. I can't even imagine what, Man, what it would cost to get her you now. You probably can't get killed for less than a million dollars. So... <laughs> 
Yeah, I was definitely ahead of the curve at that time. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Kim probably walking in with some $10,000 shoes on now, so. Wow, okay. <laughs> right, but, um, yeah, it's, so we, you know, we wanted to capitalize on that, that um, momentum that we had from the opening night, and we brought in these DJs that DC just did not know mm. at the time mm. that would have been hot if you were in Vegas or New York. It's funny. I was talking to some friends of mine in New York, and they were like, yo, if y'all had this lineup in New York, y'all would be killing it. So I think the next week we had um, this model DJ and Scott Nella. Scott, she's out in, um, she's out in L.A. Mm. Um, Scott, she's a great DJ, beautiful. Like I said, used to be a model. Um, she came through, you know, it was like 75% packed in there because people were like, who is this? Um, and then the next week, um, I think we had DJ Cassidy who, you know, he does Diddy's parties, Jay's parties. Like he's a great DJ, great, great dude too. But people were like, who is that? Who's this guy? Yeah. And then the next week we had, um, Samantha Ronson, Mm -hmm. uh, Mark Ronson's sister who used to date Lindsay Lohan. But people were like, who? Um, so is that when you learned that DC? That's when I learned that, that like, DC wasn't the, the that city that knew these types of DJs. They they or they just they really didn't care so much about a name, but they cared more just about like, can you just keep us dancing and we just want to hear good music? Yeah, it's funny. Like you know, you want to give the people what they want, but you also want to give them a little bit of something that they don't know that they want yet. Mm-hmm. But you can't give them something that they're not even aware of. Yeah. So, um, you know, if I were to go back and do it all over again, um, I I would have done the marketing different. Okay. You know, you gotta sometimes you gotta teach people, and we didn't do that. You know, we assumed that people knew mm-hmm. uh, what we know, mm-hmm. and that wasn't the case. Um, so you know another lesson learned at that point you can't be too far ahead of the curve and how long were you at Ibiza <laughs> oh you about to tell me six months Mm-mm. <laughs> I wasn't in that bitch for like six months I was probably in there for like three or four months wow okay three or four months after they opened okay I was there you know helping them get the place built and everything for months before it opened but um you know, that was that was always an ugly situation to be in because you had, like, 19 owners, like, everybody contributing their life savings to that joint mm-hmm. and showing up every week like, yo, where's my money? Where's my money? Like, that's like if you put your money into a savings account and then you go to your bank every day, like, how much interest did I get today? Mm-hmm. Your bank is like, nigga, get the fuck out of here. Like, yeah. you earned three cents. <laughs> See me in a year. <laughs> right. So, <clears throat> um... So because they were so tight on money and, you know, you had some of the owners that were just not right, just like some of them were crooked and there's some of them just like, no, this is all my money. I I need to know what's going on. It just always felt uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, after a few months, we we parted parted ways. It was like it it was shaping up to not be what I wanted it. I originally thought it was going to be what I wanted it to be. Um, you know, when you're, when you're pressed for money, you start making decisions. Um, 
that you wouldn't normally do if you weren't pressed for money. So, um, you know, if you got to pay your bills, you're like, fuck it, I'm going to get a job at McDonald's mm-hmm. instead of I'm going to hold out for this great job. Mm-hmm. You know, the same thing with a club. It's like, man, uh, we really want to get Diddy, but we can't afford him. So we're going to get Chuck Brown's trumpet player mm-hmm. and have his birthday party in here. I'm completely making that part up. But I'm saying, like, you know, you just start doing things to just get money in the place. Right, right. And then from there, once money started coming in, they couldn't go back. They couldn't reverse it. Mm-hmm. They're like, this is working. And it just, it never went back to what it originally was or was supposed to be. <laughs> Peace, y'all. Just taking a moment to say thanks to everyone who's been listening so far and for letting your people know about the show. Even though we're still early in the game, we want to know what you think about the show. So go to alltheflykids.com to take a short survey letting us know who y'all are, where you're listening, and what you want to hear more of. It'll only take five minutes, if that. But we would really appreciate the feedback. Peace. Right, right, right. So, so when you left, um, is this when you got with your colleagues and AV Lifestyle Group, or this was there was some a time period between when you left Ibiza and then? So, no, there was some time. Um, okay, and what were you working on in that time? At that time, that's when I started to get into the art world. Okay, so. Um, a lot of friends that are artists started doing uh, events that it's funny. You see them all over the city now where parties are attached to artists or art exhibitions and stuff. So I started working on that, mm. which eventually led me to um, working with, you know, who's like my big sister, uh, Gloria Norton. Uh Gloria, she was um, she just taken a position as the executive director over at the D.C. Commission on the Arts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a government agency, um, and they never had a marketing department. And she, and that's what Glow knows. Glow knows marketing. And Glow, she's, you know, another uh, pupil of Mark Barnes. Um, but Glow, she was like, look, we need a marketing department. You know, would you come in and be the marketing director? I was like, yeah, I would love to. So many uh, dope things going on in the art world in D.C., and I, you know, I know art and know a lot of artists. So I was like, yeah, I'll come over and do that. Um, you know, the money was, was decent and, you know, I could still do my thing on the side. Mm. So at this time I started, that's when I started building AV, um, with Adimu, um, AV lifestyle group. And, um, and he was still, still had his foot in, um, in Ibiza. So we didn't really get a chance to grow it like we could have. So then I, you know, went and started working with these guys. Um, 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 geez, I'm drawing a blank right now. I haven't even talked to these guys in so long. Um, you need some help? I, I, I got you. I got you. you got uh, Austin. Austin and, and Marco. Marco, yeah, yeah. yeah. Austin and Marco. Thank you. Um, man, I'm getting old. But um, that's when we started um, doing these rooftop parties over at the Beacon. The Cool Out. The Cool Out. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. How did y'all come up with the name AV Lifestyle Group? Um, Alt- Alta Vida um, is basically like the good life. 
um, or the high life. Sorry, mm. the high life. Um, so that was at the time. That's how Adimo and I. That's the the thing that we were on. It's like the how like you know we were always partying. Like that's when like we were still into popping bottles and shit. Mm. Uh, now that I'm old, I think that's corny. But anyway, that's what we were on back then. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, yeah, so we came out with that. And then, you know, when he didn't have time to do it, because he was still, you know, he still had his foot in um in Ibiza, one foot in Ibiza, um, Austin and Marco and I uh, started doing the rooftop uh, party to cool out, which um, at the time, nobody was doing rooftop parties. Yeah, and this is... This is around the time when I when I when I learned of y'all and like I learned of you and I yeah. just thought like wow man like this is all right you know um I had just um come back from New York mm-hmm. and I was living in Bloomingdale and I had learned of the cool out and I was just like man I'm gonna come through and like I came through and I was like this is some real chill shit I had never experienced in DC before you know so that's what we wanted like we went to um the beacon we were looking for a rooftop Mm. Um, we went to the Beacon, and they didn't have anything going on on Sundays. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were like, "Look, can y'all give us a Sunday? We'll bring some people in here." And they didn't think that anything was going to come of it. Um, so they gave us a ridiculous deal. Like mm-hmm. till this day, I don't know anybody who has a bar deal that could come anywhere near that. Mm-hmm. Um, like we were making money from like the first pour and making a good amount of money. <laughs> Um, and they didn't think it was going to come. They yeah. didn't think it was going to come from it. Yeah. So, you know, when it blew up, we were like, look, we got a contract. You know, um, this the deal is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we did was we kind of modeled it after this party that was going on in, um, in L.A. Um, I'm trying to think of what that party was called now. Was uh, it? It wasn't. Um, um, it wasn't. The do-over hadn't started yet. No, it was a do-over. Okay, it was a do-over. Okay. It was a do-over. Okay. Um, like, the do-over had started, like, right before we started this. Mm. I was like, yo, that concept is dope. But the do-over wasn't necessarily rooftops. Yeah. It was just, like, an outdoor party. It was, like, back, it was like a back backyard-type yeah, party. Yeah, it was like yeah. a backyard. Um, but, like, good music, like, cool vibe. Like, there was no pretentiousness to it. Mm. And that's what, I, that's what we wanted. And, um, you know, I still... Remember when we first had our meeting with the DJs? It was Harry Hotter and uh, Adrian Loving. Mm-hmm. They were like, "Look, what's the format of the music?" And I was like, "Both of those guys are are music heads. Like yeah. they could talk about music all day long." I was like, "Look, dude, just play what you would want to hear mm. if you went to a party." That was all they needed. So they were bringing in like exclusive cuts, and after a while, that's what it became known for. It's just like you know, of course you know, beautiful outdoor in the summertime party, but, like, the music was just amazing. You know, it felt good. There was always, like, this hour between, like, 8 and 9 where you just knew that people were just going to be dancing their ass off because by that time, the DJs had gotten into this groove. And, uh, yeah, it was just a it was a beautiful thing. Um, I know in the second year of the party, um, and this is something I had never seen before as far mm-hmm. as D.C. parties went, but... Y'all like did a whole like m- like mix branded mix release with 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 Harry. Oh yeah yeah yeah. And um, cause I remember even talked to you. He was like, yeah, you know, we're gonna we wanna we wanna 
present Harry as like the best DJ in DC yeah. at that time. And I was like, okay, yeah, like yeah. my Harry be killing it. And y'all put this, I still have it. I still have oh, I it. Too. I still have it. And I was just like, yo, like just even presenting branding mm-hmm. within like the 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 nightlife party space. You know, this was a day yeah. party on a Sunday. It was still like I still considered it nightlife. And I was like, that was just very, very intriguing to me and very, very impressive. Like, I had never seen anything like that before. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, you know, shout out to Harry. That's my man. Um, Harry is an amazing amazing DJ. He was an amazing DJ back then who has this wealth of knowledge of music that, you know, not many people have. Mm-hmm. Um, but Harry had been working on some, some mixtapes for a while. Like, I would always go up to his place and... You know, he played me what he was working on. I'm like, dude, we should just put out like a mixtape, you know, promoting, uh, co-promoting you in the cool out. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he was down for it. He was really excited. Like, you know, every time I talked to him, he's like, yeah, I'm still working on it. Still working on it. And it, I mean, it shows to this day. It's still, it's still a dope mix. But, um, you know, I think going into it, I knew that we were creating a platform that could be used to um, market other products, you know, ourselves, our DJs. Um, you know, at the beginning, people would always come because we had this promotion with Tin Kane. And if you showed up like in the first couple hours, it was like yep. free mojitos or something. <laughs> but uh, yeah, at that time, I don't think a lot of people recognized the strength of parties and advertising and branding and promotions. And this is this is 2008 we're talking about for anybody listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's done all like, the time yeah, yeah. now. Um, you know, people like, you know, my, my man Kareem over at Martell and mm-hmm. some of these older, other folks that recognize that um, this uh, nightlife culture has, um, you know, the... the the people that that hang out have have a lot of buying power, so um, you know once you apply that to one product, you can apply it to many other products. Right. So um, at this time, we were just experimenting with that stuff from the CD to the partnership with Ten Kane mm-hmm. Rum and you know some other stuff, um, and then I th- I think you know people saw Mark Barnes do it; and he's the king at it. Um, but then, it, you know, people start eventually uh, figuring out other ways of, of making money. It's like, all right, I don't have to charge you at the door because I'm getting this check from ABCD brand. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, which, which which was also a big a big thing because, like, we're, people got introduced to going to a party without having to pay a cover. Mm-hmm. You know, even down to, like, when it got so, when the, when the cool-out got so popular that, you know, y'all used to have Collins at the door. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Shout yeah. out Collins. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like, are you on the list? Right. You know, we that was to. that was that was that, and like on the list, but still, there's no cover. Yeah. Like that was still an unheard of yeah. thing in DC. You yeah. know, and like that was all the type of shit like that I was about. I was like, man, yeah. this is this is this is like this is what I want to do. You know what I mean? So, um. I was I was always just you know a, a proponent of that you know um, but so once y'all went once once the 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 cool out came to a close mm-hmm. you know um, where was where was DC nightlife 
nightlife day parties at that time like so when we when we decided to shut it down um people were starting to follow mm-hmm. um and you know just the type of person that I am I I I think ideas are infinite mm-hmm. so I was like all right people are catching on to this thing they can have this. We did this for a couple years, the whole rooftop thing. Mm-hmm. We'll just move on and do something else. Um, but at that time, um, DC nightlife wasn't really popping that much. I mean, you had some folks that were uh, doing it. Like, you know, um, Taz was still doing his thing. Mark, um, Mitch uh, with DT Nation. Uh, a few other guys, um, but for the most part, it was kind of like a slow moment in yeah. DC nightlife. I think because I think even like right, right when y'all shut down the party, maybe like shortly after is when um, me Jerome Scooby like we decided like okay mm-hmm. we're going to do Good Life Tuesdays at recess. Yeah, you know, and that was some dope stuff too. Like you know, shout out to all those guys too. Like I I, I respected what y'all were doing. Um, and one thing I loved about y'all whole crew is that y'all got that whole idea of cross promotion and branding mm-hmm. and just the reckon and and just the 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 power the buying power of of your audience and um and capitalizing out on that mm-hmm. and doing it the right way mm-hmm. um not letting these brands come in and do it their way because a lot of times they'll come in and fuck it up yeah um but no I, I love what y'all were doing um and you know Scooty's still doing it. He's he's killing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, DC nightlife at that time. You know, people were starting to hop on the outdoor party thing, the day party thing. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think that was kind of like the beginnings of this uh, um. Renaissance and and it sounds weird to use such a word for parties, but Renaissance for for um, how we throw parties in the city now, um, you know it's it's mixing uh, the cool shit that you get at 18th Street Lounge with uh, you know maybe the crowd that you get with one of like Mark's parties or something and um, and putting that together, yeah, shake it up, and um, and I mean that just makes a dope formula. I mean, still, I, till this day, I don't think anyone's done it like we did it back then. Mm. Uh, just because we were, we just wanted dope people. Like we didn't really care who you were. Like if you were, uh, I don't know, an Asian tranny. Like we didn't care. Like if you were dope then then we want you in the party right 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 it was it now now what you see is just like here's a party saturday or sunday from three to nine come out right you know what i mean it's, it is no real this is what you get honestly you get black promoters that were like that are like yo we need some white girls in here <laughs> and then um because they they're like yo that makes our party hot yeah 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 we need some white girls in here and we need our DJ to throw to play some house every now and then. Right. 
Some, some, some Calvin Harris or who or whoever was whoever was popping at the time. Some Skrillex, maybe. Right. <laughs> like that that's whack to me. Yeah. You know, it's so many promoters that came up to me after we decided to shut down the cool out. I was like, yo, we need that crowd in here. Like, that crowd doesn't fuck with your crowd. Right. Um Because like, what y'all were doing was organic. It's yeah. gotta be organic. You yeah. can't you can't force anything like that. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, um, you know, we just knew that we wanted dope people, and you can tell who those people are. Well, first of all, this is a lesson to some young promoters. The older promoters know this. Everybody that works with you is a promoter mm-hmm. in some kind of way. Mm-hmm. So if you have um, a whack dude sending out emails for you, he's going to attract whack people. Yeah. So back then, if you had like you know dudes out handing out flyers, if you got a whack dude handing out your flyers, that's those are the people that he attracts. Mm-hmm. So you know we just wanted cool motherfuckers that hung around cool motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. So you know our DJs um, hang around artists, yeah, and other cool people. So that's naturally who they're gonna bring. Right. You got to look at everybody involved. Mm-hmm. If you have a whack security dude, then he trying to holler at the whack girl that's trying to come in the party. So he's going to let her in. Mm-hmm. So you got to look at everybody that's involved in your thing and look at them as a promoter, whether they do security or if they a bartender or if they cooking, they're going to tell people about where they work. So lesson than young promoters. So while the cool out was going on, even up to it, to the time that it closed, you were, you were already working at, DC Commission of the Arts and Humanities. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what was your vision as director of marketing and communications with, with that with that agency? Um, so at that time we started this uh campaign called Art 202. Mm-hmm. So with Art 202, what we wanted to do is get people away from thinking that art is like this scary thing, this mm-hmm. unapproachable thing. Um, you know, you have some people, if you talk to them about art, they're like, oh, I don't really know. I don't know what's good art, what's bad art. I kind of stay away from it. I don't go to museums and shit because I don't really understand it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, the graffiti, that's street art. That's art. Like, it's not scary. It's approachable. It's around you all everywhere. Um, What we wanted to do with that um, is just bring art, like, closer to the people um so you know we were doing a lot of collaborations with people like you know peter and brandon who are like no kings collective now mm-hmm. um a neocon like these are the type of artists that we were really pushing mm-hmm. you know even though there, there are tons of um fine art fine artists in dc who are great in the classical arts like ballet and oil painting and all of that um we wanted it to to feel accessible to everybody. So our our focus was really on just like the grassroots uh, grassroots marketing, but but marketing uh, more art that that I think was relatable to the people. Okay. Now was yeah. is it is it safe to assume that you received quite a bit of pushback 
from uh, your colleagues and even superiors within within uh, the agency? So the colleagues, colleagues, I think were on board. What it was, I think the board is uh, they weren't really sold on it. Mm. And usually, you know, boards are are older people with money and influence. Um who have strong opinions and they don't want to change things. Mm-hmm. So that was the hard sell. I know, you know, not necessarily hard for me because I wasn't running the organization. It was a hard thing for Gloria, uh, who was the executive director at the time. It was a hard sell for her because she had to deal directly with the board and tell them that we're doing things differently. Because mm-hmm. um, prior to her was um, a director that had been there for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they were used to doing it that way that they had been doing it for a long time. Mm. But it became successful. It became, like, very, very successful. You know, people, a lot of times people want change, even though they don't know they want it. You know, you just got to you gotta show it to them, you know. Um, one quote that I take with me all the time is, you know, Henry Ford. You know, he said, if I would have did what the people wanted, I would have made a faster horse. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, sometimes you just got to get people, you just got to do it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so then from from the Commission of the Arts and Humanities, you moved to Destination DC. Then I moved to Destination DC. Okay. Uh, tell tell people what Destination DC was about cuz I think that's one agency that it was it was pretty it was relatively new for a lot of people and even a lot of people just was like, "Okay, here's this <laughs> agency and they might have even gotten it confused with Events DC." Like both of those agencies yeah. came of age around the same time. So a lot, yeah. a lot of people do confuse the two agencies. So, I mean, honestly, Destination D.C., not in its current form, but in some form or another, Destination D.C. has been around for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had a rebrand in like 2008, 2009. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, it was like the Washington, D.C. Convention and Tourism Corporation. Okay. Not a sexy name. Yeah. So they did a rebrand in 2008, changed it to uh, Destination D.C. So Destination D.C. Uh, is really responsible for marketing dc as a tourist destination Mm. so you know we see these commercials for vegas what happens in vegas stays in vegas Mm -hmm. those are done by the equivalent in las vegas right um so um you know it's run uh the ceo's name is elliot ferguson great guy uh super awesome guy he um they had just lost their vp of marketing Mm. And um, he and I have been talking and, um, you know, about who he was going to replace that position with. And he was like, look, I want to bring on a creative director position because right now, um, this is him talking back then. He's like, right now we go through a creative agency, an ad agency, but I want to bring all of that in house. Mm-hmm. Would you be interested in running the creative? Um like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, and I was already doing videos and commercials for them anyway. Um, at that time, Tabby Benet and I had a, com- a company um, called A Band Apart. Okay. And uh, we were doing some videos for them, and I guess they were working, and, and Elliot really liked them. So, um, you know, Tabby had just moved to L.A., so we couldn't ask him. So he asked him. <laughs> Tabby wouldn't do an office job anyway. I remember. So. I remember. I actually remember. Um, there was a video out. Um, like a, a promo video out mm-hmm. from Destination DC with Tabby in it, and like there was a. Uh, 
He gave his voice. He did the voice. And like the the song I think they used was the um the superhero yeah, song. Yeah, his yeah, superhero yeah. song. That yeah. was the first one we did for them. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, um, that was a lot of fun. You know what's funny about that that video? We actually didn't shoot it for them. We just shot it, mm-hmm. and then we took it to them, and we were like, "Look, we're not doing anything with this video. Mm-hmm. Could y'all do anything with it?" Yeah. And they bought it from us. Mm-hmm. Like, they bought it for a good amount of money. And we were like, whoa, maybe there's a business in this. Yeah. Uh, it was really just shot just to shoot it because we love DC. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, they bought it. And, you know, a few months later, they called us. Um, as a matter of fact, they called us with the ad agency that they were working with. And I think the ad agency was kind of pissed because they were like, yeah, they want us to go with y'all to do the next video. I guess they like the style that y'all do. Like, they didn't even ask them to do it. They asked them to call us to do it. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah. Um, you know, I told, going back to the job, I told Elliot that I would do it. Uh, you know, it was kind of cool. I get to, you know, direct creative yeah. every day. And so you came up with, and I knew that this was you when I saw it on Instagram, the whole, the DC Cool campaign. I was yeah. just like, I was like, this is Marquise. Yeah. So <laughs> I knew this was him. <laughs> yeah. So the funny thing is they they had um they had the name already. Mm-hmm. I can't take credit for that. They um right before I came on, the uh National Portrait Gallery mm-hmm. had this exhibition called American Cool. And um, you know, it was these amazing portraits of like Miles Davis and Elvis, all these cool people. And, um, you know, so Destination DC, I guess, kind of piggybacked on that. I was like, oh, we want to do a campaign called DC Cool. Mm-hmm. And it didn't move anywhere. Just that idea was just sitting there. And then when I came on, they were like, look, we have this DC Cool thing. And then from there, I made it look like something. Because mm-hmm. it, it was just a name yeah. when I came on. Yeah. Um, so, you know, DC Cool, uh, what we wanted to do was just change how the city's marketed. Um, you know, everybody knows the National Mall, all government, the, all, all the monuments stuff. and yeah, everything, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, which is cool. I mean, that's, that's part of who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, you don't go, you go to, you don't go to Paris to go to a little gallery in the, in a neighborhood. You mm-hmm. go to see the Louvre. Or you go to see Eiffel Tower, and then hopefully while you're there, you'll make it to some neighborhoods and see some really cool shit. Yeah. And we know that. We know that people are uh, coming or people come to the city to see, you know, the Smithsonian, the Washington Monument, all that stuff. But once you're here, also know that our neighborhoods are dope and we have some dope stuff here. So that was our approach. Yeah. Like we wanted to pull people into the neighborhood. So we. Brought in people that are doing dope stuff, like, you know, Derek Brown, the amazing mixologist. Mm-hmm. Um, um, my friend Kristen Geider, who's funny enough, she's actually in in New York now. But, um, you know, she was really big in the art world. And we brought in people that were just doing really cool stuff to be ambassadors for the city. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's it, you never know how things like that are going to resonate with people but it ended up being the most successful campaign that that destination in dc had ever done okay okay so i know that um you recently left these destination dc 
I did. Okay. So before I even talk to you about that, I want to ask you, because I like to ask people listener questions. Mm-hmm. Um, listener asked, how do you use your influence to directly strengthen the local economy? You know, whether it's just like the city as a whole or the neighborhood that you live in. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a very good question. Um, well, everything that I've ever done, um, let, let's, let's throw out the club days. Mm-hmm. Um, since then, like everything that I've done has been about promoting, um, like DC beyond the federal DC, mm-hmm. um, you know, like DC cool and, and art 202 was really about getting people to spend their money in neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, and that, you know, then that, that trickles, that trickles out. I mean, not really down, but that, that, that trickles out. Um, you know, I don't think it's, and I'm not taking credit for this at all because it's the mayor stuff, but, you know, what you're seeing right now in D.C. is is really, it's beautiful. Like, you know, what's going on in Shaw, what's going on in Bloomingdale, what's going on over on 8th Street. Like, these neighborhoods are growing and blossoming. And, um, and you know, this is something that I've always wanted to promote. Like, come in and spend your dollar with these folks. Um, so, yeah. I I think that's something that I've that I've always done and thought was important. Okay. Okay. So All right. So now you've gotten back into your more mm-hmm. creative side, like just straight up creative side. Mm-hmm. Um, less less of the marketing but more the creative. So now you're you're in, back into uh freelance photography. Yeah, yeah. This is going to be this is going to be the the longest chapter of of my book. <laughs> okay. We've been through so many chapters. Um yeah, you know, when I was, so I left Destination DC in October, the beginning of October. Mm-hmm. Um, I missed being um, a creative full time. So it's one thing to be a creative director, mm-hmm. but you're not. Your hands aren't in everything, right? Um, and I missed like getting my hands in things and actually creating things. And, um, you know, ever since high school, you know, my my dad bought me my first um, camera, this old Pentax K1000, which is a great camera to start. But he bought me that, and I would spend, like, lunch, my lunch hour in the dark room, mm. and it was just something that I kind of put aside after a while. Uh, but then, you know, working with these great photographers shooting ads when I was creative director at Destination DC, it's just pulling it out of me like, all right, I missed this. Um, so I started shooting again. So I would shoot some stuff here and there for Destination DC. I was already shooting video, but I'm talking about like still photography. Um, so yeah, I missed it. So got back into it and I was like, nah, I think I can like really do this like full time. I can see myself doing it full time. Um, I like the freedom of, um, you know, you just kind of move from, from subject to subject. Um, it, it works for like my mental space and, you know, people haven't noticed through this conversation, I jump quick from one thing to the next. And 
you know, shooting photography, I jump from one project to the next every day. And what like, what are some of the projects you're working on now? Um, so yesterday I just shot a uh, an editorial. I just shot an editorial for uh, Washingtonian Magazine. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was really cool. Um, that should be on newsstands in April. Uh, look for that. Um, prior to that, I was uh, shooting for this wire service out of New York for uh, New York Fashion Week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's funny, you know, that's, you know, we're all on Instagram, but that's the what I've gotten the most uh, amount of attention from all my images from New York Fashion Week. I mean, I've been looking at them and like you've got some like, if I didn't know you, yeah, it was I would still just be like, man, like these are some like dope images that you you're, you've been taking. Oh wow, thank yeah. you. No, absolutely. No, I'm and I'm not just saying that because I know you. Like yeah. those are some great images you've taken. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, it's um, you know, it's I like connecting with people when I shoot, and in New York Fashion Week is just full of characters, mm. so it's hard to take a bad shot. As, as long as you connect with the person that you're shooting, mm. <clears throat> um, you should be able to get some some good images. Uh, there's some 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 real characters out in New York Fashion Week. So, uh, yeah, so that was that. And then prior to that, I'd been doing a lot of stuff for, um, for the protests um, going on for, you know, this current administration and, and the things that they're pushing uh, which, you know, it's funny. And in, in, in turn, I was like, I'm getting some really good stuff from all these protests. Um, I'm going to do an exhibition at the end of the year on, like, the first year of, of protests. Mm. Um, so, you know, stay tuned for stay tuned for that. Um, but, you know, from there, it's just the life of a, of a freelancer. Project here, project there, project here, project there. Um, and, you know, if, if you're good, you can live a good life. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's that's what's been going on, and you know, I don't I don't see this changing. Um, you know, I I think I've I finally settled into the chair that I'm supposed to. You know, it's kind of like the uh, the three bears. Mm-hmm. You know, I finally found my chair that fits. So I was going around burning my mouth on porridge and all that stuff, and sitting in chairs that were too big or too small. So I think I finally found my found a chair. No, I, th- I think I think it's good for you, especially, you know. I want to I want to I want to I want to bring it back to DC though. Okay. Um before we close out, just like I want to ask you, just cuz you know, you're you're a well-traveled guy, you know a lot mm-hmm. of stuff. Um you've seen a lot of things, you know. Um as far as the cool scale goes. Mhm. Is DC where it should be on like a global or national cool scale? Um, and if not, what needs to happen to continue raising the awareness? All right. So I'm going to give you a simple answer first. Okay. Is it where it should be? Um, yes. I say it is where it should be only because where it is is a reflection of what it puts out, right? Mm. Um. You know, you have places like New York that people look at as being like the biggest, the baddest, the greatest, the shiniest, the sexiest. That's because they tell everybody that they're the biggest, the baddest, the sexiest, the shiniest, 
you know, what places like that have figured out is the power of communication. Mm -hmm. You know, um, D.C., we, this isn't necessarily a marketing town. Right. It's a cool town. It's a beautiful place. Like, I love D.C. Wouldn't want to live anywhere else right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we have just started to tell people how great this city is. And we're like, whoa, how come people don't know how great this city is? Because mm-hmm. well, we haven't told anybody how great the city is. Um, but that's starting to change. You know, a lot of people are starting to recognize um what we have here um but i think you know it's our recognize our recognition right now is is deserved um um some people may be mad at me for saying that but it's it's not a negative thing um like it's a dope ass city i just think that you know more and more people are gonna know that the more we tell them that it is um so you know, that's 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 how I feel about it. Okay. Now would you say that creatives or creative entrepreneurs still need to leave in order to make it? So <clears throat> um no. Okay. There are it's funny. I feel like more and more lately I go places out of DC whether it's fashion week or like a big art event or something. And I meet these dope people and I'm like, yo, where are y'all from? They're like, yo, we live in DC. I'm like, I've never seen you before in my life. Mm-hmm. And that's because they're always on the go. Mm-hmm. Like we don't live in a world without planes and trains and cars and shit. Like the, the world is small now. Like we have iPhones, computers, iPads, like the world is tiny. Like, I can have a meeting with somebody in South Africa just like I can have a I can I'm sitting across from you right now. Mm-hmm. So no, we don't have to go anywhere. You know, we can deal with everybody globally if you know from your living room. Right, right. So no, we don't have to go anywhere. Um you know, and if if you think that the world revolves around New York, fine that's a three three and a half hour train ride from here mm-hmm. you know i've gone up to new york for a photo shoot in the morning and came back that night but i came back home in D- to dc mm-hmm. so no you don't have to leave dc to to make it um for people that think that um i don't know they just wanted to leave i guess <laughs> <laughs> okay well i mean i'm, I'm glad you're saying it's like because I, I i remember I remember a Marquise that who was who was who was a little jaded with the city, and now you seem to be just more at peace within your 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 place here, and just working within, and still just like being a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, be, beyond beyond the city limits, you know what I mean. It comes from getting old. Um, <laughs> oh, you you just don't have the same get up and go you used to have. No, it's not even that I don't have the same get up and go. I'm more at peace with what the world is. Okay. Um. You know, if things aren't right, change them, mm-hmm. but don't don't cry about what the world is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I used to, I'm sure, 
I used to be like, oh, man, I wish D.C. was doing this or doing that or doing this or doing that. I mean, D.C. is what it is. D.C. is in Chicago. D.C. is in New York. D.C. is in L.A. Chicago is in D.C. New York right. is in D.C. Right. L.A. is Tokyo, in D.C. Tokyo, Paris, yeah. Milan. Like, those places have their own. <laughs> right. Those people have their own personalities. And I think people should stop trying to make D.C. another personality. Focus on doing dope D.C. shit. Yeah, focus on doing dope D.C. shit. Like, New York should do dope New York shit. Chicago should do dope Chicago shit. D.C. I, I, should do dope I, I, I've D.C. I've been saying shit. that for the longest, man, and then people just don't be seen. Like, I don't know where people's minds are. But nonetheless, f- forget all of that. What's next for Marquise? Um, so with uh, photography, um, continuing to shoot, you know, fashion, portraits, um really want to focus on um you know fashion editorial and, and advertising and continuing to build on um this exhibition that I told y'all was coming at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's I just want to continue to grow as a creative, continue to grow as a person. And it's funny, if you would ask me this question ten years ago, I would have given you like a completely that, different answer. Completely. I want to make a million dollars about it. And, you know, I I want to continue to grow as a person, continue mm. to grow as a creative, um, because, you know, you, you hear this, you know, you've heard this over and over again. If you're great at something, the money will come. So I'm not chasing money. I'm just chasing being the best at what I can do. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Where can people find Marquise? People can find me. If you want to be found. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so people can find me roaming the streets, uh, probably in the Shaw neighborhood, but outside of that, you can find me on, uh, my website, marquiseperkinsphotography.com, uh, the gram, uh, at Marquise Perkins. Um, and outside of that, you know, I'm, I'm in these streets, man. Okay. Final, final question for anybody that's uh new to the city, just coming to visit, or they live in the in the area and they just don't come into the city often. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't have to be the place, but just one of the places you would say that they should they should check out when coming into DC. What would you say that would be? All right, so let's let's start from um. Since you're the DC cool guy, <laughs> <laughs> I was a DC cool guy. You, so st- you still the DC cool dude, man. <laughs> All right, I appreciate that. Um, what? All right, so what's going on right now? If you um come into the city, let's start you on some National Mall shit. Go to the Hershorn. The new exhibition at the Hershorn is amazing. It's uh, it's by this Japanese artist. I'm going to tell you guys in a second. It's fucking amazing. Like you guys should it's like a an Instagram dream. You should you should come out of there with at least uh, fifty likes per picture. I'm out to go. I might go up there tomorrow yeah. morning and wait in line for a same day ticket. Yeah, like, Kusama, Kusama. Yes, I think of her name. Um, but yeah, outside of that, man, like, you know, there's some great restaurants in this city. Name one. Name one. Give me one. One great restaurant. Hmm. Let me see. What kind of food are you looking for, Geronimo? It don't matter. Just, just give me one. <laughs> All right. Um. Man, I love good comfort food, so I would just take somebody to go get some ramen or something. Okay, Hikon is really good. That's I, a new that's a new spot in the Shaw. Hikon is very good. Yeah, 
Um, I love that. Um, you know, outside of that, if you want to just always got to go to ooze and ahs. Like, don't eat anything that day, though. Okay. Don't. I mean, you know, you just want some, some, um, some great soul food served in some aluminum foil. <laughs> And pay twenty dollars for it. Go to Ooze and Oz. See, I'm 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 a, I'm, a, I'm a Henry's kind of guy, so I I'm a rock with Henry's. You know what I mean? I'm a rock with Henry's. I'm not mad at Henry's either. You got Henry's. Um, yeah, you want a good you want a good cocktail? You know, go check out my folks over on um on Eighth Street Copycat. I love absolutely that spot. Copycat. I've taken quite a few people past it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, DC's got so many. Um. Dope spots, man. I guess it depends really what you're what you're looking for. Well, we can we can leave them there. They can they can find their way from there. But those are some good starts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are some good starts. You know what I mean? So, well, Marquise, I thank you once again for coming on. You know, um, I appreciate you. You know, what I mean? like I said, like I introduced you earlier. Like you know, not only are you like creative director, creative entrepreneur, one of the most creative minds I know, but you've been a mentor to me, and I appreciate you know just you all the time that you've taken out to just sit down and talk with me and help guide me in the right direction <laughs> you know right. what i mean and no, i appreciate no. you coming on the show anytime anytime thank you for having me and um yeah this was this was fun i didn't know what i was getting myself into but everybody think i'm gonna have them in the trick bag or something yeah. man like that ain't even my style <laughs> you know, it was actually fun. I, I'd never even interviewed gone, well going no nah, i've done interviews but never going back that far down memory lane and try to and line up everything so that was <clears throat> it was therapeutic, man. Well, well, once everybody gets a celebrity status, I won't have to even go take you back down memory lane. We can just start like, all right, this is what it is, yeah. and this is where we're going. So, you know, that's what it is. But, you know, that's it. Uh, and so that's a wrap. All right. Thank you. Thank you. The All the Fly Kids show was produced and recorded at One Love Master Studios located across from the historic Howard Theater in Washington, D.C. Engineered by Mike, Mark, and Molly, and produced by Geronimo Nose, me. You can subscribe and listen to this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or Mixcloud. Pay it forward and let your people know we're here.